Well, as we come to God's word this minute, or this morning, would you join me in prayer at this time? Father, we come before you, and we commit this day to you again, and thank you for it. We thank you for a chance to gather together with your people, to be in community and to share life together today. So we would ask that you would just allow us to know that your spirit is here and to sense your spirit among us. Father, not that we have to invite you here, but we have to invite ourselves to be attentive to your surrounding us. So as we come this morning, we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to what you have to share with us today. Father, as we gather around the table for communion, we would pray that our hearts would just center around the remembrance of what you have done for us. So, Father God, we thank you and we love you. We give this time to you in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody who made it this morning. My name is Dennis. I'm one of the pastors here. We haven't met. I want to welcome you. Thank you for listening to your clock, even though it may have seemed to go off an hour earlier this morning than it should have. It was the right time. We were up in the city last night for a provincial basketball with Abby's team, and got, we didn't get done there at about 10.20. I usually turn into a pumpkin at about 9 p.m. on Saturday nights. Uh, and then with the hour change, that was even more depressing, driving home, looking at the clock at 10.30, realizing it's really 11.30. But we are here, the sun is shining, the cold will leave again, the snow will water things, and everything in the universe is well. So whether you believe it or not, that's what we come uh, with today. We have been walking through a series all year about following Jesus and just really knowing how to follow him and be in step with him in our lives. And we've been following kind of a, a progression of Jesus and how he has led his leaders to be and his followers and his disciples and his apostles to be ready to run with the kingdom of God after his time on this earth was done. And over the last uh, number of weeks, we kind of went through the Sermon on the Mount. And then starting last two weeks ago, I believe, we started a series in the parables of the kingdom. And I'm excited about this. I've enjoyed this uh, little mini-series so far. I love the parables, and I love just trying to get a glimpse of what Jesus is trying to tell us through them. And I just want to remind you of why does Jesus talk in these riddles, these parables? Why did he make it so hard? The simple fact is that he was trying to expose some things of the truths of the kingdom to his followers that would not be evident to all, but that he would make evident and understandable to his apostles, to his disciples, and that he would pour into them a glimpse of the kingdom and what it's supposed to be like. Jesus is opening a window for us to see through and to see that as things are, they're not always as they seem to be. And the parables speak to life in the kingdom in the moment and in the seasons to come. And Jesus has been walking these parables through and there's kind of there's odd parables here and there, but there's this kind of running thought of the organic nature of the kingdom of God is very much like uh, a seed and a tree and a field. He's using the language that even the non-farmers of the day would have understood. 
while not everybody that he was speaking to was a farmer, everybody knew farming. Everybody knew where their food came from. They knew how things were planted and how things just naturally happened. And he's continuing to unfold the nature of the kingdom as organic to them. Before we get to our passage for today, I want to back up, and I don't have this on the screen today, but it's found on, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. And this is John the Baptist. We're back to John the Baptist again. We're not going to stay there, but we're going to go back to when John prepared the way for Christ to come. This is Jesus' cousin who was born with the purpose to prepare the way for the Messiah. And John the Baptist had his idea of what his role was. He did it well, and yet he struggled at times to understand if Jesus was who he thought the Messiah was going to be. And we pack up to chapter 3 of Matthew, verses 11 and 12. It says, I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John speaking. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John, from the beginning, holds to the beliefs that a lot of the Jewish people of the time would have had That when the Messiah comes, he's going to make everything right. He's going to burn up the chaff. He's going to get rid of the non-Jews. He's going to get rid of the the Gentiles, the pagans. He's going to clear house big time. And there was this expectation that he was going to come in great fanfare and, you know, come as a, a conquering champion. And we see that through the three years of Jesus teaching his followers, they never quite get past that point. They expect him to come like that. And when he doesn't, when he comes into what would be perceived as weakness, that many don't understand who he is. And even John the Baptist, when in jail, imprisoned, says, are you the one or should we look for another? Because he expected that Jesus would come and clear house, that he's got his, his, his winnowing fork in his hand. And if you don't know what a winnowing fork is, it's very similar to a pitchfork. And they would have the threshing floor with the wheat that would be piled there. And the harvesters would grab those winnowing forks and they would throw it up in the air. And they would have winnowing fans that would blow and the chaff would blow away and the seed would fall. And as time comes, what you end up with is a very clean crop on the floor. And all the chaff would blow away. And this was the expectation of what Jesus was about to do in the kingdom of God. That he was going to come and finally get rid of all those pagans and all those people who were going against God and clean house. And the parables we will read today tell us that yes, he was going to do that and he's still going to do that. But it's a yes, but wait kind of situation. And Jesus is mindful of John's expectations. He's mindful of what John is expecting to happen. And he's going to tell a story or two that tells us, yes, this will happen, but not the way we expect it to happen. It's not right now the way we thought he would come. He's not going to ride in on the stallion. He's going to come in on the colt. He's not going to come in as the conquering hero. He's going to come in as the one who would die on the cross. But Jesus is hunkering down to tell the stories of the kingdom and he's going to explain the fact that there is 
some truth to what John expected. If you do have your Bibles, turn them on, open them up, fire them up, whatever you need to do. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to look at a few parables today. But they all run together, and one is kind of a repeat of the one we talked about last week, the one of the mustard seed. But we're looking at Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24 and going through verse 43. What I'd like to do is just read that for you, and then we'll just back up and unpack it a little bit. So this kind of picks up in a, along the line of the story of the, of the sower and the soils that we talked about a couple weeks ago. But this is from Matthew's perspective when we approached it from Mark's perspective. So verse 24 of Matthew chapter 13. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who had sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, did you not, did, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them out? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest at the time until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and uh, tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all seeds. Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything of them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom out of his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. 
Whoever has ears, let them hear. There's a number of parables and a number of things going on here. And today I just want to unpack this with us a little bit because it's a hugely important piece of scripture for us, as they all are. But this helps us understand some things very clearly. It starts with a story of this person going out and sowing seed in his field. And it's good seed, as we know. We talked about that before, that the seed that we hear in scriptures is good seed. It's 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 wonderful, clean, and, and it's this kind of seed that you should grow. But it says while he was sleeping, and remember we talked about last week that while the seed is planted, the, the farmer sleeps. Doesn't have to worry about the growth. God takes care of that. But while this person grows, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Now, some of your Bibles, depending on your your version, may say this is the parable of the wheat and the tares. Tare was a kind of weed that grew amongst the wheat. And when he speaks of his enemy coming and sowing over the top of his good seed, a couple things are important to understand here. One is that that word for sow means equally and everywhere sowed the bad seed of the weed. So the farmer everywhere and very systematically weeds or seeds, the good seed, the enemy comes and equally in the same way sows the bad seed. Now, this was not uncommon in the day. It was not uncommon for somebody who wanted revenge on somebody or somebody who wanted to bankrupt an enemy. This is what they would do. They would come into the person's field after they had planted it and they would throw the seed of the tear out and ruin their crop. And what happens is, is the weed grows and the, seed, uh, the wheat grows together. At first, you can't tell one from the other. The tear, it's also called a darnell weed, looks a lot like the, wheat, the head of the wheat. And at first, you can't tell the difference. When it's green, it's green. It looks kind of the same way. It's got, it's got kind of the, 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 the seeds on each side of the stalk like wheat does. But it's not till it grows taller that the darnell weed or the tear will grow above the wheat And it grows straight up where the wheat heads kind of dip. It's gray. The wheat is is more of that tan, goldish color we're used to. So later in the crop, you could tell one from the other, but at the early stages, you couldn't. And as this starts to happen in this story, the, the workers come and say, didn't you sow good seed? And he said, yes, but an enemy came and did this. Should we weed out the wheat? the weeds. And he'd said, no, because when you do so, you're going to pull out the good crop too. It's kind of this expectation. Let's wait until those heads pop up and then you can cut it off and get rid of the bad seed. And we can just cut down the stalk with the good seed. And the stalk doesn't matter, but the seed was bad. It was kind of a noxious weed and the seed would make people sick, make people hallucinate at times, would do weird things to people. If you got one piece in the flour, it could ruin the whole loaf of bread. So the owner here, the, 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 the farmer is saying, let's not weed out the good stuff with the bad stuff. Let's wait till it grows. And at a time to come, it will be separated. Now, there's a couple things we need to pick up in this story here. One is, very simply to start with, that there are two sowers. 
There's the farmer who sows the good seed and puts the good seed out. We know the seed is here. It talks about, um, you know, the, the sower is Jesus. The field is the world. The seed is the children of the kingdom. We saw in previous things that the seed is the word of God. But then there's this weed who are the people of the evil one. The enemy's doing. The enemy's work. And Jesus is telling this story to say, you know what? There is two things going on here. But there are two sowings. It's not just one. There are two things. And we need to be careful to think about whose crop are we cultivating in our life. Satan comes and he sows among the good seed of the kingdom. And we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but there's always this, this idea that how, why does God let this happen? Why does God let all this bad stuff happen? And it's hard as a pastor. I don't have a perfect answer for that. I hear this a lot at funerals when people have a tragic loss in their life or they're struggling through hard times. Why would God let this happen in my life? And the only thing I can say is that this is not the work of God. And this is not what God wants to see happen in your life. And as Jesus tells the story, there's this one point in verse 28. He says, an enemy did this. An enemy did this. It's not what I sowed. It's not what I hoped for. It's not what I'm striving for. An enemy did this. The one who wants to bankrupt the kingdom of God. The one who wants revenge. We have to understand that there are two sowings here. And we have to get beyond this mindset that our world has is that people are spiritually neutral people. They're just neutral till they decide to go this way or that way. And what the scripture tells us is either you're cultivating one crop or you're cultivating another crop. Which one are you cultivating? Which one are you watering? Which one are you making sure it has the right resources? So we need to be careful and to not think that we're just born neutral, we just float through life neutral, and if we do well, we'll stay neutral until maybe we have an enlightenment, an epiphany, and we just start to follow Jesus. If you're not following Jesus according to this passage, you're following the work of the enemy. And we need to understand that. And this is one of those topics that a lot of people go, you know what, you're very closed mind to think that way. And once again, I say, I didn't write this stuff. I, I believe it. I follow it. I teach it. But I didn't write it. And either I choose to believe it as a whole or I choose to not believe it as a whole. And what I understand is that there are things in this life that are not as God intends them to be. And some of you have heard me stand here and say in funerals, folks, this is not what God wanted. And God's heart breaks with your heart. And when you hurt, he hurts. Now, we don't understand why he lets it go because he could just stop it. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. But it's just a simple fact is that there are two sowers and there are good wheat and there is bad weed available within this world of ours because of the two sowers. Second point here is that Jesus' sowing doesn't look so impressive if you just look at it. If you look at our world, you'd say, man, if he sowed the good seed, I don't see it because we live in a messed up world. How many farmers we have in the room? How many people have ever farmed? Raise your hand. If you've farmed or you've done gardening, there's nothing better than a... My wife doesn't understand it. 
Because we drive down the road and I go, look at that beautiful field. She goes, it's just dirt. But it's dirt that has been worked and worked and worked. The harrow and the plow and whatever, uh, the spring tooth. I don't care what tools you use. It breaks it down. And then you take that drill through there. And if you've done it right, those rows are just perfectly straight. And I drive past the field. And I go, oh, look how beautiful that is. She goes, what, dirt? I said, no, it's a beautiful field. <laughs> she has said that. Maybe not every time, but. Now, let me give you another story. I actually was in the notes, okay? <laughs> Another story. When I moved to Oregon in 1977, there were a huge amount of filbert or, or uh, uh, what do you call those? Um, uh, uh, hazelnuts, same thing. Filbert and hazelnuts are the same tree. Uh, but they were huge in the area. They, they've taken them all out now and put wineries in because they can make more money with wineries and vineyards than they can with filberts. But I remember as a high, junior high student driving past these filbert orchards, and they are so perfectly planted that you can look this way and they're straight, you can look this way and they're straight, you can look this way and they're straight, and how they get those trees so perfectly, evenly spaced to be so beautiful. And it's just this optical illusion of it's straight every way you look, just perfect row. You could just think about it as a great place to go and play hide and seek. And I love that. I worked on the tree farm, and I would remember after a you know, a hard week or two of work of having gone through and suckered every tree in the field and weeded between the rows and tilled everything, that everything was perfect. And I'll never forget Dan Fishback, my boss, when we drove past one of the fields one day. Dan was, you know, he wasn't the most encouraging person, but he could be at times. And he pulled off the side of the road real fast in the truck and he goes, look. And I looked in the field, thought maybe we had a deer or something. He goes, Denny, called me Denny. He goes, Denny, you done good. Look how beautiful that field is. Look how immaculate it is. Look how clean and well laid out it is. That looks great. That is not the field of the kingdom of God in this moment. Because we have a field of good seed planted perfectly and everywhere and evenly. And yet we have an enemy who has planted the seed of the weed just the same way. And these two intertwine through everything. I love this passage because, you know, 24 to verse 30, we read the story. And then in verse 37 to 43, Jesus gives us the answer key. I mean, it's like no more clear than this. You want to know what this is about? Here it is. Boom is boom. Boom is boom. Boom is boom. This is clear, folks. If you can't get it, you can't get it. So he lays it out and says, there are two enemies and one of them is the devil. One of them is Satan himself laying out the seed of the weed. But there's a third point here. He says, there is a time when separation will happen. And while I'm not here with my winnowing fork, as John thought in, in my lifetime of these 33 years on earth, I am not going to be tossing up and burning and everything right now. There will come a time when the harvest will happen and the angels will take their cue from God and do the separation. And Jesus makes it very clear, yes, there will be a separation, but it's not in this very moment. So it's a yes, but not yet. He goes on, the parable of the mustard seed. We talked about that last week, but let's read this version. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed 
which man, a man took and planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And we talked about that last week, and you know what, the actual mustard seed that they grew at that time wasn't usually huge. It wasn't a tree, it was more like a bush, and birds didn't tend to nest in it. And so there seems to be this understanding that maybe what Jesus is saying, this is an unusual mustard seed. It will grow big, even though it's small. And the regular mustard seed does do that, but this is even bigger and even stronger. And it's more like a tree and the birds will, will nest in it. They told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took just a small piece, a little bit of yeast and mixes it into the whole bag of 60 pounds of flour until it's worked through the dough. And there's just a little bit of yeast and a lot of dough, and there's this tiny seed that's going to create something big. And there's this thought that, you know, if you go to the, seed, the field after the mustard seed has been sown, good luck trying to find the seed. Or if you take the 60-pound bag of, bag of flour and you try to, anybody try to take the yeast back out of flour after you put it in? Have you ever have to do that? You ever put too much salt in a and you, you hope maybe you can dip a little bit. I did that once. You know, just kind of get that spoon. And I, I didn't mix it yet. So maybe I can get some of that salt out and start over. It's always too salty. Right? Just always too much salt. But you can't go in the bag of 60 pound, bag, pound of 60 pound bag of flour and try to remove the yeast. And even going to the field where you know the mustard seed has been planted, it's hard to find that seed in that big field. And Jesus is saying that even though the kingdom is hard to see, it's hard to spot in this moment, it's there. It is there. But he wanted us to understand the potency of the seed of the kingdom. That small little mustard seed is going to grow big. That little bit of yeast is going to permeate all that flour and make it rise when it goes to the baking process. The kingdom of God is like this tiny little seed. It's like this one little bit of of leaven that you can't see and yet it is there and it is doing what it's supposed to do and it is potent and it will do amazing things people today say the kingdom of god is dying off the church is dying off and dustin mentioned that this morning to me as i said these people who think the bride of christ is going to die it's not the church is alive and well it's just intertwined with the weeds and it's hard to see sometimes it's hard to get your head around the fact that you and i as hopefully the seed of the kingdom the seed of the good sower are intertwined and intermixed in our workplaces in our schools in our families in our neighborhoods in our sports teams we're intermixed with all the problems of the world that come through the second sower the devil himself but it's there. The kingdom is potent. It's alive. It's interactive with the weeds, and it's there. So that question again, why would God do this? Why wouldn't God just come with force and just weed it out? He's got that winnowing fork. He's got that sickle we see in Revelation, that grim reaper, that sickle to reap the harvest. Why does he not do that? And I can't say that I can give you the perfect answer, but I can say I can give you an answer that I can live with. It's this thought that God is not weak. 
He's not stupid. He's not not thinking about the problem. He is a God who's patient and loving and caring and compassionate and kind and merciful and gracious. And he's given some time for things to grow. Think about the seed. Go back. This is not a new thought. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. God creates the perfect field, the perfect garden. He plants the perfect seed. He creates perfection. And he gives it to humankind and says, cultivate it, prepare it, take care of it, steward it, do what you need to do with this field, with this garden. And all of a sudden, a second sower shows up. And so is another seed of discord, a seed of doubt, a seed of, of pride. And Satan shows up and, and, and casts the seed of, of everything other than what God created. And the problem is that man accepted that other seed and has been ever since trying to cultivate the two seeds together. And you and I are all a part of that. If you could open up the window, if Jesus could open up the window of my life and you could look into me and see my life, you'd see it is, it is a mixture of those good seeds growing some wheat and there's a mixture of those bad seeds growing that tear. And it's all intermixed. And, and yet, thankfully, through justification and sanctification, God has and will continue to make me what he wants me to be. But I'm a messed up field myself. So... Satan comes and casts that seed out, and it's mixed up now. We're trying to, trying to cultivate both together. And what happens is that the ecosystem is screwed up. This world we see is not the way God wants it to be. And he could have come with force. He could have come with his, willowing, his, winnowing, willowing, his winnowing fork, and he could have come with his winnowing fan, and he could have done it all just like we take the weed in our hand and rub it and blow it. He could have done it that easily, but he chose not to. And this is not weakness on God's part. This is patience and love and compassion, all those things I listed before. And some of you may say, well, that's a, that's a weak defense, and I don't think it is. Because God is loving and caring, and God has a plan for now, the two seeds live together. That part I don't understand why he just doesn't want to get rid of it. But he waits. Not only does he wait, not only did he try to recast the good seed through the prophets and the priests and the law and Israel, and now through his church, but the son of man himself chose to come and live amongst the weeds. The word became flesh. And lived among us. And he came that he might start casting that new seed again. That good seed. And that through his church some 2,000 years later. That's what we're called to do. That's the calling we have on our life. To be about that work. And for this season until he comes back again. And that harvest takes place. He has said don't pull the weed. Because you'll pull up the plant. Whose roots are intertwined. Because they've been cultivated together with the weeds. So for us, in his patience, he waits. It's not weak. It's not uncaring. It's not uncompassionate. He is caring. 
He refuses to uproot the weed because he would just mess up those of us who are intertwined with it. And yet he has planted the seed of his church and his church is growing. And as the church, folks, our goal is to live amongst those weeds and to bring hope and to show what the true wheat of the kingdom of God looks like. And time will tell out which is of which seed. Eventually one will grow taller and be gray and be seen and be cut off eventually and then burned up so that the good seed can be harvested. He leaves the good seed along with the bad seed and you may not like it, you may not understand it, but that's his plan. I just want to give you two implications of this. One is that there's an implication of peace. As God tells this story, he is not panicked. I believe he's sad. I believe he's bothered. I believe he's indignant of the fact that this is not how it's supposed to be. But he doesn't seem panicked as he tells the story. This is the way it is, and this is the plan. He has a plan. He's not planless. He's not clueless. He's not missing the point. He is working the plan that he's had all along. Now, some of you in this room are panicked. Some of you in this room think you need to change everything. You need to single-handedly pluck the weeds and pull it out. And that's not your job. I'd ask you not to be panicked, but to be sad to be broken, to hurt for those who hurt, for the hurt for those who are cultivating the weeds only. But know that God is coming to deal with it. When Jesus returns, he will deal with it. And that's the second implication here is that we have to understand that the expectations of John will take place and that Jesus will come back and that we will see our judge and he will separate us, the good from the bad, the, the wheat from the weeds. And some of us will have eternal life in the kingdom of God. And others will have everything opposite of that. Call it hell. Call it fire and brimstone. I don't care what you call it. I don't know what your picture of it is. But the worst picture I can think about is everything opposite of being a part of God and his kingdom. Everything removed from his presence. And I don't know if any of us can really say what it's going to be like, although we know God will take his people of his kingdom and put them in one spot with him, and the others will be removed from that. That's a huge deal. It's huge. So for now, we live in this kingdom that is the weeds and the wheat together doesn't mean you get to just play and do whatever you want and just be whatever you want. The goal is that you would follow Christ and be the wheat. This is not an excuse. It's not a hall pass. It's not a anything else other than a warning to cultivate the right seed, not the wrong seed. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. We're going to go into communion in just a moment and... You know, as we come and hear that challenge, as we hear this challenge of, of this way, I hope what you hear is this fact that God has presented the way. That God has provided the answer to the weeds and the problems. He's answered it through Jesus Christ. And we have every opportunity to accept his free gift of grace.
through faith and to walk as forgiven people, still broken, still messed up, still with some weeds, but that we allow God to do the weeding in our own life. That we would come to him and ask that he remove those weeds from our little field in our hearts. He's paid the price. He's done the work. He died on the cross. He was raised on the third day. He ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father in our, on our behalf. And he has done what we in no way could ever do for ourselves. So we're going to come today. We're going to sing the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. As we sing that, just listen to those words and just remember how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. As we do that, we're going to invite you to come to the crosses. And if you're a visitor with us and you're a follower of Christ, you're more than welcome to come and take part in this process, this celebration with us, this remembrance of what Jesus did. If you're not a follower of Christ, we ask that you just respectfully don't take part in that. We won't look down on you, but please honor what we do and why we do it. We come to the cross to remember the broken bread as Jesus' broken body. And we come and take the cup, which is representative of his blood, which was shed for us to create a new covenant between us and God that we could walk in cleanliness and cleansed life with him. So we always ask you to come individually, come as, as couples, come as families, come as friends, come however you need to come. Take some moments to pray over these elements and to be reminded of what they represent. Stop and thank God for the fact that he has done this amazing work in us and continues to do so. But come and take in his sacrificial death for you. You can't get around to the cross. Pastor Dustin will take the elements and he'll come around and serve you where you are. He'll come up and down the aisles just... Please raise a hand so he can know to come to you. He'll be glad to serve you that way. Otherwise, sing the song. Reflect if you need to. When you're ready, come to one of the crosses. There's three in the back, two in the front. Come and take these elements and be reminded. Let us pray together. Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for all that you have accomplished for us. And we might just walk through this process out of rote memory and out of, out of muscle memory and doing the things that we do regularly, but we pray that we would stop and be reminded of your broken body and your truly shed blood for us that led to your death, that allowed for your resurrection. that has given us everything we need because of your sacrifice, not our own. So we come before you today and we say thank you. And we give you the praise, honor, and glory as we go through the celebration now of your gift to us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.